New ideas and new technology are causing seismic shifts in the media industry. Where are we headed? What does it mean? Keep listening. Media strategist Gabriella Mirabelli talks with the brightest minds in entertainment and business. Meet the innovators, the risk takers, and the disruptors on the front lines of change from Hollywood, Wall Street, Silicon Valley, and beyond. The future is coming to a screen near you. Are you ready? This is the Up Next podcast with Gabriella Mirabelli. Welcome to Up Next. I'm your host, Gabriella Mirabelli. My guest today is Alyssa Gelbart. She's the founder and CEO of Point Road Group, a unique branding firm that helps companies make better brand impressions through their people. She's a personal branding expert, leading a talented team that advises diverse companies, executives, and board directors to drive business success. She's joining me today for the last in a series of interviews related to job searches and career management. Today, we're flipping the script a bit and looking at how your personal branding intersects with that of the company you work for. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm so excited to be here again with you today. I am too. And I'm really excited to deep dive into how each individual's personal brand and how they show up relates to how an organization is experienced in the marketplace, that reflexiveness. So first of all, certainly over the past few interviews, we've mentioned LinkedIn, but we've always talked about it from the point of view of the individual, how you as an individual can use it to brand, how you as an individual can use it to network. But does LinkedIn, your personal how you're showing up personally on LinkedIn, does it have a wider impact? Does it impact a company's brand image? It has a huge impact on a company's brand image, actually. And it's how you show up when people are looking at your profile, they're associating a lot of impressions about your company as well as and, and your team, and even sometimes your culture. And I'm not even talking about an about page on a company. I'm talking about someone's individual profile. So, so I look at your profile and, but you're the founder, I'm going to have opinions about Point Road Group. But does that mean if I look up, I don't know, John Smith, who works for IBM Consulting, I'm going to have associations? You will. You absolutely will. I think even more so though, for not the major humongous brands that are just well-known globally in the marketplace. So but it's more, more important for smaller companies, startups, smaller, like that. smaller companies, startups, even growing companies that are mid-size. And it's the impression that people get, especially if you're a leader of a company, you don't have to be the founder and CEO, but if you are a leader, if you are someone who is visible, highly visible, meaning you're client facing, you're involved in sales or business development or things like that. People are looking at your profile all the time. So they're associating it, not just, they're not looking just at you individually, they're looking at you and your company. So what you're saying reflects that, but, but as a leader, you also want to be thinking about you're leading by example. If you don't pay attention to your profile, how do you expect your team to, or the rest of your company, especially if it's well, a smaller company? Well, so uh, several questions that spring to mind from this is, first of all, a lot of very senior level people, they're not on LinkedIn. It's almost like the super important person who doesn't even have a cell phone because they're so important. Nobody is going to call them. Do you, I don't want to say age out of LinkedIn, but do you relevance out of it? Or actually, guess what, guys, you the head of Morgan Stanley, I guess that's together in a huge company, but you need to be on there. Everybody needs to be on. Everybody needs to be on there. And actually, we've seen a big change in that. And I've personally seen a big change in that over the last, oh, I would say about two, three years, where people who were those people who you said who flew below the radar screen in terms of 
having personal information out there other than some very stiff corporate bio. Everybody now is creating LinkedIn in LinkedIn. And we see that a lot in our business, evidenced by companies who hire us and individuals as well. A lot of them are those people who never did it before, but understand now that they do. Because when people are looking them up their or, or their companies, that's that's what they're seeing. And it doesn't matter how you know, how senior or how much experience you have, especially when people are looking to gain information potentially for a million different reasons, whether they're looking to hire you, they're looking, maybe they're, you're looking, the company's looking to hire them. It's a partnership relationship. It's a vendor relationship. Then they're looking for information on a person. So question then, I I mean, is is an empty profile better than a bad profile? Oh, that's a very good question. And in fact, speaks to some, something quite interesting that I'm very excited to share. So we just conducted our own independent research about LinkedIn and impressions that people have of individuals and companies. And we'll be releasing the results soon. But we we compared, we looked at three different types of profiles. The empty that you said, the sort of, we call it the arrogant, but the person who is all me, 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 look how great I am. And then what we consider sort of the point road group style where it's really thoughtful and strategic and and balances the the amount of information. And the results that we had were were really pretty exciting. And but they actually confirmed what we all thought anyway. But the bare bones is not a good is not a good idea. It's better than arrogant. Oh, in the, some see, cases. Well that's interesting. So bare in bones some is, cases. Oh, okay. So I suppose yeah. it's on roll. Oh golly. Right. But at the end so, of the day, it's more about bare bones versus some detail, some information. That doesn't mean you have to put as a a C-suite executive of a company that you have to have a CV on there. I mean, I don't think anybody should, but it should have some kind of information about you and your company because otherwise it shows you don't care. And then again, it's about leading by example too for your teams. You don't want, especially for growing companies, you don't want your your teams to have no information on their profiles. Well, so here's here's another thing though. The the profile is the property of the individual. Correct. How how much can a company actually direct the individual to do things? That is a really fantastic question and one that actually speaks to a lot of the work that we do as a company and it's there are some basic things that you can do, which is and and it and it Honestly, it floors me how many companies don't suggest these types of things to their employees. It is not, it's not about being dictatorial and saying, you must do this, you must do that. But there are some basic things that you can make sure that your team members do. And it kind of immediately elevates their presence and the company's presence, which are things like, you're going to laugh, but selecting under experience, selecting the right company. I can't tell you how many clients we have had. Yeah. Yeah where we look and maybe there's other companies in the market who have have similar names or they type an abbreviation in so they don't select the actual company. And the way it shows up, you get the- Right, you get their their logo and the bios. Right, and that's as long as the company has a company page on LinkedIn and you could be a one-person company and have a company page. It's not very difficult to do and it doesn't cost anything. And you'd be surprised at how many people don't do that. So one, making sure everybody's selecting the right company. Two is ensuring if they're describing the company in some way, maybe in their about section or even in the experience, 
that they use the current messaging of the company, especially for growth-oriented companies, how you talk about the, your company and what you do and maybe the services you provide and the clients you serve, that evolves over time, especially in growth-oriented companies. So, so you want to make getting sure it's everybody current. on the same page. Oh. Yeah, we oh. see that all the time, that someone who joined the company earlier describes it the original way, more recent uh, hires and, and getting everybody kind of rowing in the same direction in terms of messaging. There's two other ways that, that you can do. One is super simple is having everybody follow the company, meaning go to the about page and click follow. First of all, you look at, well, if you're a leader and especially if you're hiring people, if you don't follow your own company, what kind of message does that send? And then it also helps you individually from content engagement perspective. And then the mm -hmm. last thing is one that I think is very optional, where I don't think companies, it's really up to an individual, which is that banner image at the top above your headshot, mm. where you can have branded banner images. And that's a great way. But that's not something that you, I, I think that's a little, that that's a more personal approach for someone. But the other ones are basics. I mean, well, you, you could know, provide. It's, it's so what you could do yeah, there is make it. it easy, provide something and say, feel free to use this banner image if you'd like. But then, we just had a client, we just had a client who said, oh, I'd love to do that. I said, why don't you, and they had, they actually had a small marketing team. I said, well, I'm surprised. I was surprised that they hadn't done that. And I said, ask your marketing team. They'll do a backflip that you're asking them. And then you make it available to the company. And they did. And it was great. And then a whole bunch of people adopted. They gave them two choices and people adopted it. And it was great. It's so let's say people also write their own opinions. And yeah. is there any danger? Because you can't really say to somebody, don't write, don't write about things because that's not your place. They have the exactly. freedom and right to write things. So you can't tell them not to post, but then if they have your brand and branded image, they could be posting. And what if they're not posting great stuff? Or what if they have opinion? What if they're, or they're misusing LinkedIn, they're, they're posting political posts, or sometimes people do weird things on LinkedIn. Yeah. So, and then your brand is right back there. Is there any backfiring or do you say chances are it won't be that way? Well, I think it, it's one of those, it totally depends. I mean, first of all, you think about companies have social media policy. If you think you may have people who get really go on one to extreme ends of political spectrums or things like that. That's where you can kind of, that can be helpful in some ways if you have a social media policy. However, but you can't though, use a social media policy to direct other people's posts. You can say right. you can't talk about the company, but I don't think you can say you can't be political on your social media. Right. But I think if you kind of give people guidelines, especially if they are more public facing, it's that's where I, I it doesn't happen I think as often certainly with the with the clients we work with we don't really see that kind of thing mm -hmm. occurring what we do though is well, very often people look for help in how do I post on behalf of the company how do I if I'm on board here if we're all about elevating the company brand on LinkedIn as individuals as part of the company how do we do that and so giving them guidance on the types of things that they can be posting and engaging with I mean of course the easiest thing for starters, is that the company posts. There's tons and tons of- Please um, repost, reshare. Yes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Or comment. Yeah. Comment and things like that. And when a, when a company has followers on their page and they post something, you have X amount of engagement. But when when you have employees who then interact with that content, think it, I don't recall the percentages off the top of my head, but it's at least tenfold because when you think about each person, how much bigger their network is than the number of followers of the page. And then it gets amplified. Right. So it's, it's, it's a very simple kind of really, honestly, low cost way to really 
increase visibility and give people content guidance. We do that all the time with companies. We'll learn about who they are, what their industry is, what their services, what their culture, where they are in, from a strategic perspective of their hiring and taking a whole bunch of things into consideration and then giving them guidance on the types of things that the company can post and also that individuals. And people love that. They're, you're not telling them what to do. You're making it easier for them and saying, hey, here's some ideas. Here's some sources for places if you want to be posting. Because most often people don't have an idea. It's different than if you are on Instagram or something like that, right. where it's just right. so much. So you easier. make it. So you make it. You make it easy for them to do something. So one yeah. of our earlier conversations, we dealt with big mistakes that people make, and one of the things we talked about was slow or no response time, being mm-hmm. high-handed, being disrespectful of vendors. Now, clearly those missteps impact how people feel about me if I'm the one doing it. For instance, you had told a story about somebody who you had had helped and they never let you know that they had landed the thing you had helped. Now, I see how that could affect my relationship with you if I'm like, well, Liz, I'm not going to thank you for what you did for me. How does that affect my business, my larger business? People associate what you do with the company that you work for as well. So if you are using that example of response time, if you have people who are habitually late to emails where you know that anytime you reach out to X company, their people take a while to get back to you. Think about the impression that that creates. Well, do they really care about their customers? What do they care? Are they engaged employees? Are they on top of things? People absolutely do associate those types of behaviors with a company, not just response time, but even things. I mean, when you think about communication, when you drill down in that, the way people write emails, if you're always receiving emails from people at a company that are short, or that are so long where you can't get to the point or where they're constantly, or even just general communication habit. You never want to be that eye roller, right? Because then that associates with the brand. But if anytime I hear from someone from X company and I'm rolling my eyes because I'm going to get 25 emails, five voicemails, that's not good either. So there's the lack of response time, but then there's also aggressive communication that can really lead that. I think where you turn into you're the spam bot. You don't want to be that. I mean, spam is really alive and well these days. And I think both extremes are what we see in the marketplace all the time, the lack of response and the over response. And people associate that with companies, not just Not just the individual. individual. One of the corporate branding opportunities that businesses often forget about is the candidate experience, the people who are applying for for jobs. How how important would you say that experience is? I I mean, it's become even, even more experience these days, right? Because it's not just about, forget about competition for talent and all those types of things, but People are really, really particular now in the types of companies I want to work for. It's not just about the job and the benefits or what the whole compensation package is. It's what the experience, how do they make me feel? How am I going to be part of a company that cares about its people? And that tone is set from the recruiting process. And whether it's that ghosting that I think we've talked about, but how they treat you during the process transparency is another thing. Right now, business is in flux. A lot of businesses are in flux. They're going from different settings from from being remote 
to hybrid or being from hybrid, going back to the office and being transparent during the recruiting process that reflects your employer brand. I just heard a story earlier this week of somebody who was super excited about this opportunity and it was hybrid. It was three days in the office. And then they were told by the time they got the offer that it was now hundred percent in the office. So five days in the office. And that's a different that situation. Within, that's a, yeah. And that didn't work for this person. Mm. So being transparent. So an employer brand is important. We place a lot of emphasis on that in, when we work with clients, because we say when someone has that initial touch point, what is that experience from the initial touch point through to their onboarding experience? That is all your employer brand and, and how people are experiencing, whether it's the communication. Well, but does it only maybe, matter if they're the people we like? I mean, as long as the people I think I might hire, I'm nice and- No, you okay. never know because that person who you didn't hire, you may want to bring back a year later for a different role, or they may become a great resource to you at a vendor, or they may become a competitor. There's so many different scenarios where you just never know. And it's, you treat everyone like gold, whether they are going to be that they're the person you're going to make the offer to or not. You just, you just never know. Look, that happened to me many years ago. To me, one of the most valuable members of the Point Road Group team where initially for the initial role, we ended up going with somebody else because we thought we needed a different skill set. And it became very quickly that we didn't. And I reached back out to that initial candidate. And I said, I think we were a little off in what we thought this role was going to be. She's changed their roles incredibly right. different now. But I immediately went back to her and she came on board. And I think she's the greatest thing since sliced bread. But I made sure, but I really liked her. And I made sure that we had a good, that, that she had a good experience throughout because even I, being know, told, I, even being told, no, thank you. But correct. that too is a touch point. Yeah. I, I have a fun story there. There's a, a woman I know who was applying for a job at a nonprofit and she really, really wanted the job and they treated her really, really poorly. Fast forward to she ends up becoming a, a billionaire the way you do if you become successful and they wanted her on their board. Oh, wow. Yeah. And she got to say, "Mm, no, and here's why. Thanks. Yeah. And so, and they lost out a lot of money too. That's kind of vengeance fantasy that we all would love to be able to live out, you know, just become a billionaire and then you can have the vengeance fantasy. Anyway, one of the things when I coach people, one of the things that we talk about is raising their profile, building their awareness. So, How reflexive is that when you're active? I mean, we've talked about very general. These are personal branding that everybody should always be doing all the time. I'm really talking about the speaking opportunities, the thought leadership. Mm -hmm. How important is that for a company? And then the world being what it is today, if I'm a company and I'm sponsoring an event and we need to staff a panel, that's part of what we we are doing is part of the gimme that we get out of our sponsorship. What are Mm -hmm. some of the things as a company we should be thinking about when we're selecting who gets to be our representative on that panel? Oh, oh, I love that question. (laughs) There's a lot to pack in there. So first of all, I think when you think overall, I think you mentioned, asked about the approach. I, and this is something that the approach that we take is don't sell and you will sell. In terms of when you're sponsoring, you have expert panels. If you have somebody who's put on a panel and all they talk about is it sounds so salesy, then mm-hmm. you're they're a turnoff. But someone who's a true expert, 
where you really get to show your expertise and why you are great at what you do, why that person is great at what they do, why the company is great at what they do, that will sell itself. Where if you're being put on a panel and you really get into the issue and you have thoughtful responses that are informative and that you have somebody engaging, because if you are looking to make a great impression as a company, right, you don't want somebody who is timid, who's not engaging. I'm not saying you have to have someone gregarious up on a panel, but you want to have someone that people are going to be interested in listening to versus someone who is kind of monotone and they may be an expert, but they really don't present well. Sometimes you don't always, as a company, you don't always have that luxury of of choice, depending on what the, the topic is. You can be thoughtful to have somebody like that. And if you have somebody who really is an amazing expert, would be great at speaking on panels, but they don't present so well, then hire somebody to help them. Because Train them you up can, because that yes. will make a difference, right? Because if they really know what they're talking about, then once you get them going, then they'll, they'll, you'll, they'll, they'll shine. But giving some pointers on how to speak, how to hold yourself, how to engage with others on a panel, because often what it comes down to is nerves or lack of experience. And if you Mm. give people some basic guidance on things to do and help them and they practice, so their first or second time isn't on the big stage or even- Right, it's not the first, second time they're on 500, in front of 500 people. Right, even in front of 50 though. Even right. Well, because if you're nervous, if you're nervous, it's you're nervous. So, so exactly. some, some businesses are very restrictive with regard to who can speak. For instance, mm-hmm. I work for a company and I have a relationship with a client and that client is sponsoring something and they want to have their client speak on the panel. And it's a great opportunity mm-hmm. for me to start building my profile. But my company is very restrictive or my boss is very restrictive. How should I position myself for those opportunities and then spin them up so that it looks like a win for my reticent boss or communications department? I think first is if you know that you may not be selected for things like that, start kind of upping your game from an internal networking perspective. So you are more visible. Mm -hmm. So whatever your area of expertise, people start to associate that with you, that you also are vocal about it to certain folks without being in face and saying, yeah, I'd love to speak at something like that. So you're sort of laying groundwork. So it doesn't, so it's not out of left field. Right. And then this way, it's not, oh, I wish I had known that Gabriella was interested in that. No one ever said anything. That's something we hear all the time from people who say, oh, I would love to speak, but I just haven't had the opportunity. And then we say, well, do people know that you would like to speak? Because there's, there's tons of experts out there. People need to know. People need to know in, internally about that. And very likely, the person who is getting that opportunity over you is someone who's more out there who's more visible, who's networking with the people who are making the decisions. And, and so they're going to get that tap. Well, one of the other things I think if we're sitting, if we're sitting from the comms department point of view, and we're Mm -hmm. looking at who, who we want to source to these panels, another aspect of branding that we might want to think about is diversity. Oh, yes. 
And if the people, a lot of times because of glass ceilings, because of other unconscious bias, certain leadership positions may look very white and very male. And we want to definitely get a spot in in a panel. We may want to make sure that we have not only a pipeline in terms of developing people, but that we're also developing these people, diverse people, so that they can be comfortable and and do really well in these environments. Thousand percent. And creating that awareness that, hey, every time we have a speaker, it's this kind of person. I literally, I'm saying this because my blood's boiling because I got an email yesterday, an invitation to a very interesting event next month. And I looked and the speakers were from four companies and they all looked the same. And then I looked at two of the companies, two of the speakers were from companies I wasn't familiar with. So I then did a little, I was like, oh, I want to learn a little bit about them. Yeah, well, they were from, they're all male companies too. And I, I I have to tell you, my reaction was, really? We're still there. We're still there. That yeah. this is still happening. And yeah, it is. So, and whether they're, yeah, and, yeah, it and, is. <laughs> yeah. and what was interesting to me was it was a combination of small, a couple of smaller companies. So one, I think was 10 or 12 people. The other one I think was maybe 30, something like that. And then the other two were much, 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 much larger. So it didn't matter company size in this case. Mm. It was all, so I think bringing, and let me tell you, I, I am telling you that I, I hope to attend this event. And when I do, I am going to say something in, in a nice way, but it, it's really, because it's certainly not a topic that there's no one, no right, one It's a topic that speak. somebody else could, could oh, surely, or, or you're saying something about your company if there isn't. And that's something yes. that if we're talking about, again, the impression that candidates have of our business, and we do know from surveys that millennials and Gen Zs will look at a business and they want to see that not only are they posting the right things on the right months in their feeds, but mm-hmm. that they actually are living and walking the talk that they absolutely so espouse. And, and, and to bring it back to the speaking, the speaking opportunities within a company, especially if you have that feeling that, hey, we, we're one of those companies who could be better, then that's a way you could bring it up too, to say, hey, not only do I think that we should be doing this, but here's why. And here to those reasons you just said, it has an impact on hiring, on recruiting, on and in many and, and on business at the end of the day, potentially with, with some people. So I think mentioning that, depending obviously depending on the situation who you're talking to. But I think that's something you can also include. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. It was my pleasure. We've reached the end of another episode of Up Next. I'd like to close by thanking my production team at Up Next, my friend Rob Naughton, the voice artist who recorded our open. And of course, all of you, the members of our audience, thank you. I'll be talking to you again next time right here on Up Next.